0: Dr. Saval is the Associate Director of the Surgical Intensive Care Unit at Maimonides Medical Center in Brooklyn, New York. He also is an Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Critical Care Podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email
1: info at sccm.org. Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast for Thursday, March 2nd, 2006. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Savell. In today's podcast, we will discuss an article from the March 2006 edition of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine entitled State Behavioral Scale, a sedation assessment instrument for infants and young children supported on mechanical ventilation, by Martha Curley, RN, PhD, et. al., Dr. Curley, the current Director of Critical Care and Cardiovascular Nursing Research at the Children's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, is a recognized expert in pediatric critical care nursing. She is with us today to discuss the development and validation of the State Behavioral Scale, a tool used in the evaluation of the level of sedation in pediatric patients requiring mechanical ventilation. Thank you so much, Martha, for being with us today.
2: Thanks for the invitation.
1: I thought we'd begin the interview... Um, by discussing this area, that there appears to be a gap between the number and sort of the consensus in grading and uh, using sedation scales, agitation scales in adults, compared with children who may have these issues. And I was wondering if you could sort of paint a picture of why you think this gap developed and how you ended up in this area uh, of of study.
2: Well, I think when um, nurses assess patients... They look at patients on two different continuums. They look at patients from a pain continuum and from a sedation-agitation continuum. And uh, pediatrics has done a phenomenal job in describing what uh, pain looks like in critically unstable pediatric patients. And for some reason, we just didn't go forward in developing tools that would assess the sedation-agitation continuum. What we've been doing historically is looking at the adult work and then modifying that work and putting a pediatric spin on that work and incorporating sedation scales within pediatric settings. So there was a huge void in our practice for a long uh, long period of time, which I hope that the article that's coming out in March Uh, peace critical care medicine will help.
1: And from what I understand, the the developmental issues can often be a great challenge. Maybe if you want to talk about the age of the patients you studied and your particular uh, research project.
2: Well, age uh, and developmental level of the patient uh, significantly impacts the capacity of the patient to really tell us what's going on. Uh, In pediatrics, we deal with patients who are newborns all the way up through really adults who may be cognitively uh, impaired, who are still um, being cared for uh, by their parents as adults. And so we care for a wide spectrum of of patients. Within uh, uh, the study that I'm reporting, we specifically concentrated uh, on patients who were six weeks to six years of age because... That specific, really pre-verbal pediatric population is very difficult uh, to assess. They're the patients who really can't tell us that, you know, they are uh, upset, agitated, or what's wrong with them. And so the uh, clinicians at the bedside really have to be pretty astute and look at their symptomatology and try to figure out if they're, you know, exactly what they're dealing with and how their patients are experiencing Uh, the intensive care environment. So we, in the current studies, specifically wanted to pick a population that we thought was really at risk uh, for not being able to use the adult tools that are currently, you know, available
1: to us. And could you share with us, sort of paint the picture a little bit about how your group decided when they were sitting down to design this study, which particular tools that were available were ones you wanted to use and amend and how you decided to amend them?
2: Uh, we've been looking at the adult work for a very long period of time. Uh, we went back and I think the uh, first tool that we looked at was the sedation assessment scale and its derivative, the motor activity assessment Scales. Those two scales were just really good fundamental scales. We liked the descriptors that were available within the motor activity scales. We thought they were more descriptive of our uh, pediatric patient population. But what we liked about the sedation assessment uh, tool was its bipolar numeric uh, the SAS ranges from a negative three all the way up to a plus three, and we really liked the way that that tool was laid out and So our initial work, um, at least what we modified initially was the motor activity assessment scale using the bipolar numeric of the SAS, and we used that over a long period of time until we you know now have the uh, state behavioral scale. There was another uh, tool that looked very good, uh, the RAS, obviously, the Richmond Agitation Sedation Scale, that uses that bipolar numeric again, but we kind of stuck with the Motor Activity Assessment Scale.
1: One of the questions I was gonna ask you was about the iterative process is, um, I know when I was looking over your paper, you talked about the specifics of trying to get some degree of inter-relator, uh assessment that you would apply a stimulus and right. uh, try and gauge that but maybe if you could talk a little bit about how many times you had to make changes initially when you were trying to design your scale
2: we made lots of changes then. tool development is an iterative process and it's a really it's not something to go into lightly that's for sure because it takes a long period of time to really settle on exactly you know what the tool will look like but our first step was to really Uh, Understand that what we wanted to be able to describe was the sedation, agitation levels of children. We didn't want pain, which could look similar to agitation, but we specifically wanted to look at this continuum. Uh, We developed an item pool uh, that was based on our previous work. Uh, We had over 10 years ago looked at what nurses identified to be both pain and agitation in a young patient population. And so we looked at just including the agitation terms that were used by pediatric intensive care nurses. We also looked at what's available in the literature. We looked at the adult work. And then we pulled together a group of experts, uh, pediatric anesthesiologists, uh, pediatric critical care, uh, clinical nurse specialists, and expert-level nurses to really help us develop the item pool. We then had to look at all of these items and put them into a conceptual framework so that we were at least having some organization to all of these adjectives and, and thinking about exactly what we wanted to be able uh, to measure. And so what we, the conceptual framework that we ended up with was really the respiratory drive, response to ventilation, the coughing, how the patient responded to stimulation, how attentive they were to the care provider, um, tolerance around care, how how much work it took to console a patient, you know, after they were stimulated and then what did they look like after they were stimulated. So we had to come up with that framework of measurement. And then we pilot tested the instrument to make sure that all the descriptors that were available within the tool, when other people read them who were not involved with the process, got it, that it resonated with them and that it was very clear what each of the descriptors meant. And then we went through Um, and aligned, you know, our framework of measurement to a standard reference, which was a straightforward numeric rating scale from 0 to 10. And then essentially we set up the experiment. You know, we had to make sure that the nurses who were collecting the data uh, knew what, uh, you know, they were looking at. There was some agreement in the educational process before we started looking at patients. And as you said, it wasn't just looking at patients. We, uh, from the very beginning, believed that in order to really get a good sense of the state behavior of the patient, we had to do a stimulated uh, assessment. Meaning that, you know, the nurse would stand at the bedside, look at the patient, and then almost use progressive stimuli that's commonly used when you're assessing a patient's level of consciousness and look at their response to that. So stand there and look, call out the patient's name. Put your hand on the patient, call on, calling out the patient's name, and then, if necessary, observe a painful encounter, uh suctioning episode, to see how the patient responded to that. Um, many times within this age group, you'll be standing at the bedside and the patient will look very sedated, but as soon as you rattle the crib or touch the isolate, the uh, patient is wide awake and goes from what appears to be a sedated state to a really agitated state. And so we knew right from the very beginning that we wanted to have uh, the patient's response to a stimulus incorporated within the measurement. Um, and then we worked with a psychometrician to uh, align what the, what the cluster of symptoms were to each of the numerics that we had embedded within our assessments And through cluster analysis, we're able to identify five states of behavior ranging from a negative uh, three all the way up to a negative one. And it's interesting, uh, I'm sorry, to a positive one, restless and difficult to calm. It's interesting that we didn't have very many patients who were agitated during the uh, psychometric development of this instrument. And I think it's because nurses do a great job in trying to keep patients like what we tested comfortable same level of difficulty in trying to really describe what agitation looks like in our pediatric population uh, was described uh, in a similar way when the Richmond Agitation Sedation Scale uh, was developed with Settler. Um, we just do a good job in preventing agitation, but we know it's there. So knowing that, we added in a plus two agitated state to the SBS. So it's a long, iterative process developing a tool.
1: Um, so the, the the first step, because it's, this is not the same as sort of discussing a randomized trial where you've yeah. got a placebo and a drug, and you have to design the trial well, and you're trying to look for efficacy. Here, it sounds like the first step is just really building consensus, intuitive consensus as to which dimensions we want to look at. And I'm actually looking at your figure one where you have dimensions and such as respiratory drive, response mm-hmm. to ventilation, coughing, and... Was that a difficult step? I mean, how long does it take to come up with those seven or so areas that you want to come up with? Was there a lot of controversy? or
2: There is agreement on what an ideal ideal tool looks like, you know, when you're trying to uh, develop a sedation tool. And we believe that it was really important to embed into our tool the rationale behind why most patients... Uh, receive sedation in pediatric critical care. So, coming up with a conceptual framework of measurement is critically important. But we knew that we wanted this tool to be a tool for patients who were supported on mechanical ventilation.
1: And then just explain again you, you said that you take those seven areas, each of which gets rated to some degree, and then you said you have an overall scale, and so th- th- from zero to ten. Do, mm-hmm. do then the nurses then? Taking that initial set of dimensions, come up for a particular patient a number, or, or how does that work?
2: Well, the, the way that it played out was two raters would independently stand at a patient's bedside and they would have what's on figure one in front of them. And so they would do a progressive stimulus and then stand back and then score uh, the patient on each one of these uh, dimensions and then, in total, make a global assessment.
1: Oh, I see. 0
2: to plus 10, uh, extremely sedated to extremely agitated. And then through the cluster analysis procedure, we were able to then statistically look at what of all the seven dimensions hang together that are then equated to, you know, someone who is extremely sedated to someone all the way through who's extremely agitated. And in doing that, we came up with five dimensions.
1: When do you do sort of a rapid amount of change to your scale? Is it when you're coming up with the initial dimensions? It sounds like the statistics really come up with the second phase, or did I get that wrong?
2: No, it comes up with the second phase. But the initial, it's really important to get the entire spectrum of what you're trying to assess in your tool initially initially, so that it then can be factored into the statistics later on. Uh, so, no, it's it's critically important to come up with a conceptual framework that you think is important. All those constructs are important to the phenomenon of sedation agitation. Then allow enough of a range of activity within each dimension so that it adequately describes someone who is extremely sedated uh, and on one side of the coin all the way to extremely agitated on the other.
1: And so were there some results that came out of the statistics that were counterintuitive or unexpected when you were designing the final scale?
2: Um, well, we when we were developing this, we assessed patients who were conveniently sampled out of our PICU. And it was really shocking to me as a uh, researcher to really look at these patients and recognize that we had a lot of patients who were really sedate we really had to work hard to get patients who were somewhat awake, awake who were uh, intubated, mechanically ventilated, uh, ventilated, and then maybe a little bit more on the agitated side. And every time we assessed a patient, we would say, okay, the patient is like in a one to two out a scale of zero to 10 sedated. Really had to work hard to get sedation, you know, to get the more awake state properly assessed. And we ended up, when we were assessing patients, to try to assess patients right before they were extubated, because we thought that would be at least one point when they were intubated and ventilated that they were more apt to be more awake. And even with that, it was hard to find awake patients.
1: So, again, so I would imagine this, you would point out this is probably one of the driving forces to create a scale like mm-hmm. this, is so that you right. can measure something, right?
2: Right, exactly. I think the work that the Uh, that's happening in adult intensive care regarding goal-directed therapy, you need a goal. You need to be able to uh, reproducibly say, we want to sedate this patient to this level and have this level be able to be rapidly assessed in a busy pediatric intensive care unit and have agreement with that level with numerous various care providers who are around at the bedside. There's no way in pediatric critical care can we move towards goal-directed therapy unless we have a valid, reliable, you know, sedation-agitation assessment scale.
1: And so to to just sort of close the loop a little bit, so you come up with this, the state behavioral scale, table three, Uh what do you then do to go back and make sure that there's validity on that, if you could uh, talk about that for a little bit?
2: Well, you know, one study is one study, and when tools are developed, you know, you need to say, okay, this is what it looks like, based empirically on the data that that we received. As I said, we really had a hard time with the plus-two agitated state because we just didn't have enough of a patient population to round that out. So future studies really should, the next step here is prospective validation. Now that we've put together the clusters that describe each of these levels, we should prospectively go out and say, okay, our patients who we say a negative three To what extent do they have all of the items that are associated with negative 3? So
1: So, it's not a matter of just having people agree with each other, but does your scale uh, uh, do what it says it does kind of thing?
2: Right. And then, you know, as, uh, for example, is it associated with waxing and waning uh, sedation uh, administration? So, if intuitively, obviously, uh, if you if the patient is awake and able to calm, he scores a zero on the SBS and you give him a sedative, does that in fact um, decrease the patient's state behavior to a negative one or a negative two? So you want to know if the tool uh, is responsive to interventions, you know, is it congruent with what you're expecting to see? And, in fact, do all of the uh, definitions associated with each level, are, all they, are, are they there uh, when you um, prospectively validate it as an end tool?
1: Um, I know that in adult critical care, there's a, been a big push since the CREST studies about this concept of daily awakening or daily assessment. And it sounds like that the one of the findings in your study was that over sedation is more of a problem has this concept of a daily assessment? How do, how does that filter down? Or does that not even apply to very young children?
2: Well, we're trying to figure out whether or not it applies to young children. Currently, I'm doing, um, I've been funded by the NIH to do a pilot trial of a nurse-implemented sedation algorithm that embeds the wake, Cress's wake-up test within the algorithm. And we're testing whether or not uh, that does all the great things that have been reported by Cress. Uh, and we just don't know that yet. Based upon the R21, uh, recently, I've Feb one deadline, put together an R01 to do a large multi-site clinical trial working off the pilot data that were available within the R21. But in kids, it's different. You know, can they, uh, you know, can you, especially in a toddler, uh, do a wake-up test and not have him completely decannulate himself in the middle of the intensive care unit when he still needs support? There was an excellent follow-up data to the CRESS paper on what was the incidence or describing the post-traumatic stress uh, state levels of adults uh, who experienced wake-up tests. We don't know that in pediatrics. We have limited data in pediatric intensive care regarding the long-term effects of any of what we do in pediatric intensive care. Never mind making them uh, be more awake within our environment. So currently, I think we're erring on the side of more sedation, and we need more data to be able to say whether or not we should have patients more awake in our intensive care units, looking at adverse events and systematically describing what these patients look like six to nine months after they've been in our intensive care units, So I'm not ready to say that we over-sedate. I think what we need to do is appropriately sedate and collect data, and hopefully the SBS will allow us to do that.
1: Does this also apply to the neonatal intensive care unit? There must be sedation issues there as well, right?
2: Well, the neonatal intensive care unit is a whole other uh, area. It depends on the neonatal intensive care unit. There are NICUs that have a lot of premature infants in it, and I would believe it would be very different uh, because we we, we do know that Uh, you assess pain differently in the premature infant. So I would assume that you would assess agitation differently. Um, But there are some NICUs that only take care of full-term infants. And in that respect, then I think our study would apply to that population.
1: Uh, One last question uh, that uh, we were supposed to discuss was your uh, thoughts on the controversy is about uh, sedation and analgesia and neuronal injury by apoptosis in infants and the role of scoring systems in that. Did you have any comments to make on that concept? Well,
2: you know, uh, the question that is posed is whether or not, um, you know, we are concerned about bathing, you know, the brains in all the sedatives that we give them especially in pediatrics, considering that they're developing brains. Um, I think that uh, there there is concern uh, within the profession about long-term use of sedatives in uh, patients who have not completed their uh, neurological development. Uh, you know, the brain continues to grow and development uh, after uh, the baby is, um, is birthed, and We have no data um, uh, that really helps us understand what the phenomena is in in inducing heavy sedation with the drugs that we're using in patients who have developing brains. And it is a concern. Um, And in trying to piece that apart and who's doing the work that we need to uh, have to better understand that, I think there are a few really good... um, Uh, pediatric anesthesiologists who are looking at that, but we really don't have the data. But there is risk, I think, um, in this specific uh, patient population.
1: We've been speaking today with Dr. Martha Curley from the Children's Hospital in Boston on an article that will be published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine on some of her pioneering work on sedation scales in children. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. This concludes our podcast for Thursday, March 2nd, 2006. Look for future podcasts featuring a wide variety of information important to critical care practitioners, including interviews with authors and discussions with prominent members of the critical care community. Pediatric Critical Care Medicine is an official journal of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, offering the latest information about pediatric critical care to healthcare professionals. Members of the Pediatric Section of the Society receive a free subscription, as well as other benefits. For more information, visit www.sccm.org or www.pccmjournal.com. Thanks again for listening.
0: Stay up to date on advancements in the critical care profession by attending the Society of Critical Care Medicine's new educational series, Critical Care Academy, giving you tools to increase your critical care skills and knowledge. Critical Care Academy features the adult and pediatric multi-professional critical care review courses on July 18th through the 22nd, 2006. Prior to the review courses, take part in the new Clinical Strategies and Skills Simulation in Pediatric Critical Care or the expanded American Board of Internal Medicine Critical Care Self-Evaluation Process Module Review on July 16th through 17th to enhance your board review process. Tailor your learning experience to suit your specific needs at one convenient location, saving you time and money. Register today to guarantee your course selections by speaking with a SCCM customer service representative at 1-847-827-6888 or visit www.sccm.org.